Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. It's very sweet to be called a beloved regular. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, uh, it's so wonderful to be back, and um, I, I actually I go to great lengths to uh, to schedule visits here because usually when I come down to the Bay Area, now living in Nevada City, which is between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, uh, I'm usually down here teaching retreats, which end at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, which means I can't be here. Uh, but fortunately, every year, the Metta retreat at Spirit Rock that I teach starts on a Monday, so I tend to get here in January. It's great to be back. Yeah. Um, I know that when we asked at the beginning who was new, nobody rose their hand, but I also see a lot more uh, folks in here than when we first started, so I'm just curious if there's anybody it's their first time. No. Okay. And how many? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. no. How many of you haven't met me? Oh my goodness. Okay. So you're welcoming me. I'm welcoming you. But really, you're welcoming me. Um, so I'm very happy to be here. Um, and because I'm only able to get here once or twice a year, uh, maybe first just to check in. I bet most people who come here and speak don't check in before they give some topic. We'll go into some topic, but one of the things that I appreciate about um, my connection with you all as this community is that even though I'm a not regular, regular visitor, I, I feel very personally connected here. I always feel very welcome, and it's one of the gifts to me of this community, that, that that's a priority and a value that is lived, not just spoken. Here. So I would say the, the shortest news that I really wanted to share in terms of uh, growing our communities, we kind of have our home groups, and then we have our big Dharma community here in America. And the biggest news that I have is I'd like to um, invite you all and welcome you all when you happen to be passing through Nevada City. And I know some people pass through Nevada City on the way to Tahoe or on the way to Reno or wherever. Um, we, this week, just this last Monday, after a two-and-a-half-year project that I've been working on up in Nevada City, opened a community center that is owned outright. It was offered to us. And then we had to do the remodel of the century to actually transform it from a single-family home into the beautiful community meditation center that it is now. And so we had our first, we have Monday night, kind of weekly groups, and so we started that this week, and it's very exciting. So um, 
feel free if you're going up in that area. It's called Mountain Stream Meditation Center. And it's online, and you can just check out what's happening. Feel free to come through, say hi, enjoy the land. It's on just over an acre of land. Lots of beautiful areas to walk as well as to sit. Uh, so we're very excited about that and uh, want to make sure that it's available to a wider group of people than just in the Nevada City, um, you know, kind of Sierra Foothills area. I thought I would um, bring us kind of one of my ongoing favorite topics this morning. And it's really from a theme that uh, I was exploring last year in practice and in teaching. And uh, the way that I, I teach, I'm a full-time teacher, is that at the beginning of each year, or really at the end of each year, kind of reflect what's the forward edge of my own practice? What am I interested in exploring in my own practice and daily life, on the cushion, off the cushion, with communities all over the country? And I'll take a theme and I'll work with it for a whole year. So last year's theme was uh, the theme of kind of how we create ourselves and how we might be bigger than that. In the tradition, it might be called self and not self. But I really look at it as like, okay, so who am I? You know? And who am I taking myself to be right now? And what are the identities that are important to be healthy about, functional about, not hold on to too tightly, get a bigger perspective about, etc. And so I'm sort of just in the middle of birthing a new theme for 2013. I figured I would bring this in today. So the topic is actually the topic of the two truths. And the teaching of the two truths is in multiple Buddhist traditions. And since I know we're a kind of a multiple Buddhist tradition group, I thought that would also be appropriate. I've studied this in several traditions in Buddhism. And... Uh, Normally, they would be called the relative truth and the absolute truth, but I've been taking to calling them the personal truth and the universal truth. Because in some ways, relative and absolute sound a little theoretical. It's like, how do I practice with it? How do I live it? But if I think, okay, let's just say, for the sake of practice and training, that there might be two ways of relating to reality. Myself, you, us, objects, the world. And one is through a primarily personal lens. Very true, of course. And the other is through a very uh, wide universal lens. Also very true. And how do we actually play with these and live from these? I would say in some ways, um, this teaching is the core of what I practice every moment of my life. Because it's a teaching and a practice uh, that's coming from a view that I want to convey. I'm very passionate about being very healthy about a sense of self uh, and about bodies and taking care of our bodies and being in relationships in healthy ways as we know from Western psychology, for example. Very passionate about that. I'm not so interested in uh, what a teacher and psychologist John Wellwood coined as spiritual bypass, which basically means that we cut out whole portions of who we are and how we live to create some sort of spiritual construct. I'm not interested in that. Uh, and at the same time, like you, perhaps, I see that there's a lot more than the personal. So that's his teaching. 
give you a couple more definitions and then I'll give you a very practical daily life story of how this works. So two truths def definitions. Some other kind of words that could describe our personal truth are uh, the relative truth, conventional truth, and the truth of diversity. Some other terms that might represent the universal truth or absolute truth, uh, the deepest truth, or the truth of unity. Uh, and in a personal sense, language is really important. We weren't all raised with English as our first language. Some of us speak multiple languages. And even if English is our only and primary language, uh, based on the training that we've gotten in the world, we relate to language really differently. So we've got to find the language that speaks to us in our practice. It's kind of another passion of mine is, is playing with language a little bit. So the first time that I ever taught about this last year, Somebody came up to me at the end, and she was a little bit confused about the teaching, and she said, you know, I'm not quite making sense of what you're saying, but something happened to me this morning, and I think it has something to do with the personal truth and the universal truth. Let me tell you and see what you think. Okay. And the story was this. Uh, it was a Monday night, so she'd gotten up on a Monday morning to go to her job. She'd gotten up late. She was running late. There was a big meeting, you know, typical uh, morning for those of us that work those kind of jobs. And uh, so she was pouring, making the coffee, pouring the coffee, everything was fine. She was just going to make it. And then she went to grab the cream to put in the coffee. Something happened with the, the um, lid of the cream. And cream, instead of going in the coffee, spilled all over the table. I think there was a tablecloth involved, but don't quote me on that. I'm actually not positive. <laughs> My memory was there was a tablecloth involved in this. Um, and so all over the table, total mess. Her immediate response to that was, you know, and it's our response. So I'm telling you a personal story about somebody, but there's a universal component. We have all been through our own version of this. Her response was the mind just went immediately into the future and said, I'm going to be late for my meeting. You know, this, this table or tablecloth is ruined. Uh, it went forward into this is going to be a really bad day, created the whole day out of this moment of, of spilt cream. And then she moved into blaming herself and really going into quite a spiral of self-judgment. And then she started blaming the cream. How could they have done this? You know, the, the technology should work. These spigots should work. You know, this is blah, 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 blah. We've just created what I like to call, in capital letters, the main event. Okay? <laughs> Every day has one. They're very personal. And yet they have a universal quality. Because if you think about kind of what would be a main event of your day, whether it was wonderful or terrible, you know, main event might be, you know, the fantastic phone call that, that was a surprise. We've all had that universally, and it was personal when, when we had our own phone call. We've all had the, I'm going to be late all day, this is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day main event. Um, it's my favorite title of a uh, children's book. It was a hor terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> we all know that one. But she's a long-term meditation practitioner. And so in the midst of the storm of the main event, 
this wisdom adage came to her. And again, she thought of it in the moment, but it's a universal wisdom adage that's been passed down in American culture for generations. The thought she had was this. There's no use crying over spilt milk. (laughs) And that just popped the bubble of main event. It popped the bubble of problem. It popped the bubble of self having a problem. And she said she smiled. And then she she told me this whole story in quite some detail. And and I remember it because it was simple, yet exactly so. And she just looked at me. She said, so is that it? Is that the two truths? You know, how I took it so personal, and then I opened up into something more universal? I said, yeah, that's exactly it. And so this teaching is quite profound and quite subtle. And yet, it's totally user-friendly. And these are the type of teachings I'm the most interested in. Really um, open for awakening and totally ordinary at the same time. So maybe a couple of cartoons. As I've been enjoying this topic over the last uh, period of time, people have been collecting me cartoons and stories. So I actually feel like this teaching at this point is our story. It's our teaching. The first teaching that I ever kind of studied and wrote up about this is transformed so much by the community experience that I can't even recognize it anymore. That's what I love about this stuff, you know? It's not one person telling the truth as it is. It's us exploring the truth as we understand it, which is the simplest definition of this word Dhamma. So let's see here. This is one I got just last week. It's um, a gentleman sitting on top of the mountain, as so often these cartoons are, but he's sitting in, it looks like quite an expensive, probably leather chair, and uh, a big wooden, probably beautiful wood desk. So a high executive guru on the mountaintop. And um, there's this other gentleman climbing up the mountain. I noticed that he has probably REI high-tech gear on. He's got (laughs) boots that have kind of spikes in the bottom of them so that he can get up the rocks. And um, a nice backpack and one of those uh, hats that keep the sun off the face and and the whole deal. And he's just kind of scrambling up to the top. It's it's quite a, of course, high mountain as our path so often is. And the teacher or the guru or whoever this person is supposed to be is looking down at him. And his comment is this. I only dispense conventional wisdom. <laughs> basically saying, I only, can, um, you know, I only dispense relative or you know, personal wisdom. Nothing profound here in parentheses. It doesn't really say that, but that's kind of how I imagine it. I only dispense conventional wisdom. OK. <laughs> Have fun with that. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because um, part of my exploration about the theme that I'm going to um, practice with and, and explore this year um, is a little bit different because I think I'm going to be playing with and tackling a lot of the lists in the tradition. So I was looking at the lists that I really wanted to practice with and, and explore with communities, and I asked, what is the underlying theme of all these lists that I'm interested in? Um, this year I'm kind of interested in, for those of you that have been around for a while, um, the factors of enlightenment, uh, the spiritual faculties, uh, the perfections of heart, the Four Noble Truths. Those are the ones I'm really interested in right now. It's okay if you don't know what I'm talking about. 
What they all have in common, though, is balance. When I think about the Buddha becoming enlightened and sitting under the tree, kind of basking in that and thinking, is anybody going to get this? And do I really want to be of service? And, you know, the questioning, reflection process he went through after his awakening. And then realizing, yeah, I do want to be of service and there is something to offer and making that long, days-long trek uh, barefoot on foot to Sarnath where he found his old friends and set forth the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma. What was the first thing he said? He said, my friends, there are these two extremes that ought to be avoided by one who's gone forth into the spiritual life. What two? You know, the extreme of kind of overindulgence in everything and anything and the extreme of self-denigration to the point of harm to self and other. And I'm being very simple. But the bottom line was his first kind of teaching was about balance. It was about this middle way. I realized with these two truths, it's about balance in the middle way. When we get too caught in the personal truth, we can't see our usness. We can't be of service. The wisdom that's in us isn't available because we're caught in the self-box that's very limited. Useful, functional, but limited. Um, on the other hand, if we get too caught up in the universal truth, you know, we look at our spiritual communities, all traditions, not just Buddhist, how much harm has been caused by those in power in spiritual communities because basically they said, you know, it's all empty, so I don't need to keep my basic integrity. Or, you know, uh, I'm more awake than you are, therefore I know. You know and, 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 you know, kind of using that, uh, what? Uh, awakening mantle to not be skillful. And it happens all over the place. That's where, it, actually, it's gotten out of whack with the universal truth. Mm-hmm. It's all empty, I don't need to take care of things. That's not it. That's out of balance. That's not the middle way. So on one hand, we have I only dispense conventional wisdom. On the other hand, we have um, this particular mountaintop has a guru with long, crinkly hair and an even longer beard. And these cute little monklings. uh, I say monklings because they're very small and they're wearing kind of robe-type garments. And this is a play on the word enlightenment. So one of the little monklings raises his hand, and the guru is kind of looking at him. His, his chin is turned this way, and he's kind of cocking his head, kind of, huh? And what the little monkling says is, uh, actually, there is an eye in enlightenment. Huh? There is an eye in enlightenment. And I love that, because there is an eye in enlightenment. The most awake masters that I know in our traditions are some of the most eccentric people I have ever met. You know, they're more themselves, but they hold themselves very lightly. You know, they know it's not the only reality. That's that's really it. This kind of middle way about this. There is an eye in enlightenment. <laughs> I use that in my own practice sometimes. I like to take little things from the culture and, and create personal practices. You know, so I, I wasn't planning to mention this one, but I will. Not because you need to practice it, but because I want to encourage us all to take things from our mainstream culture and use them as doorways for uh, our mindfulness reminders of what we're doing and what we care about. You know, So with that one, sometimes when 
it, it works both ways. Sometimes when I feel like I'm a little bit too caught up in something and I can feel the suffering, and then the judgment comes, you know, Heather, you're supposed to be a Dharma teacher. Why are you so caught up in this? This is, you know, and then the judgments, it's like proliferating judgments. First, I was suffering. Then I judged myself. And then I judged myself for who I think I am doing this judgment. I mean, I know you do this. <laughs> you know, not, not because I, I think anything about us, but just because I know that as human beings, until we're 100% awake, 100% of the time, we do this. So we have to bring it into our practice, you know, and not spiritually bypass and say, well, that's a problem, so I'm going to ignore it. No, it's like that's the fuel for practice. I'm going to engage it. So when that kind of thing is going on, I'll just smile on myself and go, Heather, there is an eye in enlightenment. It's like I'm saying to myself, patting myself on the shoulder and saying, it's okay, honey. There is an eye in enlightenment. Just come back into balance. Just an invitation to come back into balance, to let the awakeness shine forth and the sense of self that still really wants her way and totally knows everything. I wish. <laughs> I wish. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.